The first use case you think about blockchain is payments, right? So that's the first thing you want to you want to do is show that you can secure a payment mechanism, just like Visa, Mastercard, but much more secure without middlemen, take away the fees, uh, offers economies of scale. So the more people use it, the cheaper it gets. The, the way we view the future of value in the long term, three to five to ten years, we view layer one blockchains will essentially become like the new republics. These will be the new mechanisms where all the value is going to proliferate to the future. There'll be the layer one blockchain, there'll be the mining market, there'll be the dApps, and there'll be tokens. So the lower you get in the stack, the uh, lower risk you have, but the lower rewards. The highest risk reward will be on the layer one blockchain, because that's where all the value will, 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 will flow up. But it's highest value, highest risk. We view layer one blockchains, which is Bitcoin, Cisco, and Ethereum, as court systems. They need to be combative to the external forces that we don't control, even in the software world. In the real world, like inflation, hyperinflation, wars, these systems need to be secure from that. And this is why we view Bitcoin as the gold standard for security and decentralization. What else does the world need? You know, what else does the world cherish when you have something like Bitcoin? How can we extend that to something else where we can take advantage to build real world utility? This is where Ethereum comes in. For me, Ethereum is a gold standard for flexibility or general computation. We're trying to stick to the gold standards. We know the world's gonna cherish and, and develop on, and we put those two concepts together. And this is what Syscoin is. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. In case you're not familiar with who I am, I am. That Hotep Jesus dude. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I have a wonderful conversation lined up for you today. Shout out to my sponsor, Syscoin, the best of Bitcoin and Ethereum. If you're a blockchain developer looking to develop on the blockchain, using Syscoin technology, go to hotepjesus.com. Hit on hit the Syscoin logo. It'll take you to a landing page. On that landing page, we'll have a form. Fill out the form. We'll get right back to you. Uh, but the great thing about building on the Syscoin platform is they are incentivized to help you build whatever software it is you're looking to build or whatever idea it is you're looking to build. So go check that out. Hotepjesus.com. Hit the Syscoin logo. With that being said, today's guest is none other than Tim Cass' own Ian Crossland. What's happening? You know, Ian, I had to get you on a channel and I had this idea for a while because when I was on... Um, Tim Cast, uh, IRL, uh, people were like, oh my God, Hotep Jesus and Ian need their own podcast, <laughs> right? So I was like, okay, let's make an episode. Like, let's let's go ahead and get this guy on my channel. Let's talk, man. Um, and I found you to be very, very interesting. I found you to be uh, very much in alignment with um, who I am as a person, et cetera, et cetera. But before we dive into that conversation, we were talking about that crystal ball behind you. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You told me you were charging it with Reiki, et cetera, et cetera. And I promised you I would tell you what I knew about uh, the crystal ball. So when it comes to um, prescient things, you know, predicting the future, et cetera, et cetera, uh, from the cursory uh, research I've done with that on that thing is a lot of it's about visualization. And that's a reason why I play chess, because it just enhances your ability to visualize something. Um, as it will be in the future. You're looking at that chessboard and a few pieces come off the board. You can't move the pieces, you know, to predict six pieces ahead. You have to see the board as it is there. 
Uh, so essentially what the crystal ball, as I understand it, is you look into that thing and try to visualize with your unconscious mind and see what images appear in it. Um, the, the mystics also use the flame to do the same thing. And they'd light a candle and they'd stare into the flame and try to allow their try to create a state of no mind and just allow the, the visuals to come in. And it's a little bit easier when you have an object like a crystal ball and those visions sort of manifest inside the ball. That's cool. I, I do that with God where I'll be like thinking. I started doing this stuff where instead of speaking, I'll think a word like or a sentence like, hello, how are you? And good to see you. Uh, and um then I realized I was just kind of like talk, thinking to myself, I'm using my sub, maybe it's, I'm, I'm controlling my subconscious mind. And um, I would just directly interface with God and be like, God, tell me, what should I do now? And then I'd get a flash of an image of me, like washing the dishes. And I'd be like, I'm supposed to go do the dishes right now. And I'm like, <laughs> it's the simple things like, you know, clean your room up, call your mom, stuff like that. A lot of times, or just, or you, I'll get an impulse of like, you're doing it like that it'll remind me like sometimes it's words sometimes it's visuals a lot of times it's visualizations and i wonder if doing that with a ball some sort of distorted field would make it uh less clear so it's more clear kind of thing like less dis more distraction is less distraction yeah absolutely i think you should try it out um i think you might have some sort of success after a, a bunch of attempts like the first time you look at it, you're just like, oh, I'm just staring into the ball. Right. <laughs> but after a few attempts, I think you'll start to condition your mind to say, OK, here's an apparatus I can use to uh, sort of give some uh, visual representation to my conversations with God. Right. What about looking through a crystal ball into a fire? Oh, I'm doing it. Light a fire out back. We'll try that out. Oh, that's interesting. It's gonna be hot. That's double. That's double the the, the <laughs> double double your twisty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, whenever you whenever I run into somebody that's um reached a state of sagacity, which I think you've reached, right, at some level of sagacity, I always wonder, well, how did they get there, right? And um, you wrote a book. What was the name of the book again? Writing in the dark. Yeah, writing in the dark, and this is. Um, almost a memoir of yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, oh, it, just as a brief overview, I wrote in 2011 while we were starting Minds, uh, uh, the social network. And then I was living in my car. I didn't, I didn't have any money really. So I just thought, what? Fuck it. I got all this extra time. Let's just write, write what I'm going through right now, my crazy thoughts that I'm having. And I was like, kind of coming out of a psychotic depression uh, where I just had overdosed on weed for like, five years and I was very red pilled by society and kind of lost my, my momentum of becoming a Hollywood actor. So mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's just kind of madness. It's nice. Where were you when you were sleeping in a car? Was New York city in Brooklyn, in New York. Okay. Yeah. So basically like homeless in New York city. Yeah, pretty much not totally homeless. I was bouncing in it, but yeah, yeah. Homeless. I was staying in Bill's car and in my car, I'd, I'd shower in their apartment every once in a while, kind of yeah. wash my hands in rainwater and stuff. Right, right. Yeah. And um, obviously, New York City apartments don't allow multiple guests because they're so small. Yeah, it was yeah. tight. Um, so what is this journey to becoming um, Ian in, in this realization? Because I, I, I uh, watched your Michael Malice interview and um, you went from like a people pleaser to 
uh, more of, hey, I'm going to be me, right? Like, what, 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 what was that journey like? What happened in that journey that brought you here? I know you said you read the four agreements, but what else happened? Yeah, that was a big part of it. Is that inspiration of the four agreements? I was like, whoa, we could do better. I could be a better human. There really are some basics. Cause like I was in a seven year relationship at the time and we would fight, we would argue and yell. And I was like, I, I, I started to realize not, not to take it personally. If she was upset and yelling at me, it was because she was going through something. And I was just kind of like her object, objective like resource that she was using to express her own feelings. That helped me kind of smooth communications with her. And I realized, oh, I got to tell my friends about this. So I started making an internet video and sending my friends videos, trying to use MySpace, but it was too slow. So I, I would host them on YouTube and then put them in the MySpace blog, embed them and then send those. Then people on YouTube started responding to the YouTube videos. I was like, oh my God, there's like a community of, of humans on earth like that are involved with this. And I think it was all the so I was being really honest and like trying to help people. Well, was the, that's, I didn't start making videos to like make people laugh or, or like any of that. It was to, to directly help specific people. Like I talked to Eric Paskey or like Steve Tedeschi, like my friends from college and high school and stuff. And in that process, I would watch myself on the video being honest. And I would see when I was lying or bullshitting or like, and then I would, so I would stop. I would be like, okay, I don't want to be fake. I want to get more real. And, um, then I started to like tell secrets from my past about things I'd gone through that had been like kind of pop into my mind and bot and like pull me off course or interrupt my thoughts. And then they stopped popping in my mind. I started to gain more control of my thoughts. And, uh, I think it was, I mean, psilocybin was pretty powerful too. When I started to see the differential between like animal life or like life in general, like plant life and animal life, and then non-living things like stone and, and wood, wood you know like wooden walls and stuff not that there's not like life sentient energy in it but um i think it was when i started i don't there wasn't like a moment right it was, it was probably about a six month period of like watching myself intently make eye contact with myself and mm -hmm. through the videos and seeing all the falsehoods that i was portraying and trying to override that and humiliating myself in public like acknowledging my own flaws and just putting out flawed videos, not editing stuff, um, writing music. I just learned, was learning how to write the guitar. So I put up the most crappiest, it's called Ian Cross on music. It's an actual channel that I never, I kind of stopped using. Um, and that was embarrassing and humiliating, but I was getting better faster. Cause I'd see myself, I'd see all the problems I was having and I'd be like, okay, that I got to fix. Okay. I can fix that one. That doesn't sound right. When I hit that note, if I do that sing with from here, um, and, but it was really, I think the speaking with my mind, when I started to, to make fluid thoughts with my mind and, um, from start to finish is when I started to gain like some sort of like, like I hacked the system and I was able to control my thoughts. Then I, then that was like, I broke through orbit. Oh you, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, we were talking about that. I did an Instagram live yesterday with Tanya fear out in the UK. Um, and we, the conversation was about accountability, right? And, um, you know, uh, my theory on intelligence is obviously there's different types of intelligence. And, uh, one of them is, um, the ability to, um, receive and recall information. And, um, we perceive those people as being smart nerds, et cetera, et cetera, highly intelligent, high IQ, et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, but I don't view that as actually the ultimate intelligence uh, because many of those people are the same people running around with 12 masks on and getting the inoculation um, without question. I see the type of intelligence you have as the supreme intelligence. And I describe that intelligence as consciousness, but specifically self-consciousness, the ability to look at oneself and reflect and then be honest with yourself. And that seems like what you went through, right? Because a lot of people who they're not being honest with themselves and they're even too scared to look in that mirror. But you looked and you looked yourself in the eyes and said, yo, there's a problem. Did you ever have were you always like that where you were self-reflecting? Was that like the first time you started self-reflecting? I used to be really self-reflective when I was a kid in the eighties, we would have like uh, home videos. There were like camcorders and I'd watch my videos from like when I, from a year before when I was like seven, I'd watch videos from when I was four or six and like, just watch them and watch myself move around and talk. And like, Oh, I was so awkward when I said it like that. Uh, I could tell like that. Why was I smiling and laughing so much when I said that? And then I'd look at like an old picture where I was like supposed to be scared. I'd be like, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm I'm trying to look scared. I didn't actually look scared. And these are thoughts I'd have when I was like eight and nine. And then I started getting into acting when I, by the time I was like 14, I started acting in theater. And that was like, um, I think a lot of the, my ability in the acting realm was because of my self-criticism from when I was a young kid. But a lot of that's because of technology. I was able to see myself through, through photographs and video. Um, and, and so it's like the outsourced intelligence, like these things are allowing us to kind of, enhance our own intelligence if we use them right are you so, are you no go oh, ahead yeah yeah just to wrap up to answer your question plaintively yeah i think so i think i was always kind of self-critical mm, interesting are you an only child do you have siblings no two brothers yeah two younger brothers uh similar eight close in age or uh one's two years younger and then one's five years younger okay so you're Michael's the oldest five. yeah okay so you did begin life alone at some point yeah yeah for a couple of years yeah my yeah. parents were super cool. They yeah. still are. They're super nice, super like friendly and, and objective and straightforward. Are they hippie-ish like you? No, not like me. <laughs> um, a little bit. My dad was was a little bit of a hippie. He was a musician. He had a band and he was like the lead singer in a band. He okay. got drafted, not through Vietnam. He didn't get drafted, but he enlisted in the Navy. And he was like, it broke me, man. Like, if you ever want to do anything create, creative, don't join the military because it'll, it'll just break that out of you. And um, I think he might have, he became a fireman. He could have been like, I don't think he was ever like destined to become some creative superstar. I don't think that was really his plan. He wanted the just kind of the quieter life, but yeah, he's a pretty creative. My mom's more analytical. She was, you know, smoke pot in her late teens and twenties, but I don't, she was more like a kind of person who likes to be in control of her, of her mind. So mm -hmm. she never messed with drugs and shit yeah. too much. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. So let's talk about marijuana. It's a big one for me. Um, There's a lot of people out there that potheads, right? And they'll claim, oh, it's not a drug where you can be addicted. And I'm like, as a former pothead, that is not true. <laughs> Would you agree or do you think? Uh, I agree with you. I think it is very addictive. Maybe not very, not compared, maybe not compared to like opiates. I have tried opiates in the past and they're massively addictive. Like I had, a, I had once a friend of mine was doing a, he was like a recovering heroin addict and he was on methadone. He'd go to a clinic and get methadone in the morning and then he'd pour a little in his water and then drink the water. And I was like, can I try that? And he went, yeah, yeah. Okay. Careful. It's, it's, and then he gave me a little, I drank it and I was like, 
laid out on the like this on the couch but i was like stretching doing these deep stretches and it felt so phenomenal and i was like i mean it's the most amazing and, and i was doing like deep stretches so i see the connection between opiates and yoga coming out of india but then the next i think it was like a day later or two days later i was like hey can i get a little bit more of that and he was like no dude it's no and i think he saved me from like acquiring some sort of opiate addiction so i don't think marijuana physically is addictive like that but mentally I, I do think it's physically addictive, but mentally it was, it's very addictive. I think like if I find myself thinking about it when I'm not using it, that's a problem. That's a distraction. That's an addiction. Absolutely. And, and I got to a point at LA in like 2007, six, where I was using it and then making YouTube videos. And I felt like I couldn't do it without weed. Like weed was making me awesome. It was, it was making me think fluidly and have all these brilliant thoughts. And I did it, but you know, I had to kind of circuitously learn it was me doing it. The weed was an augmentation. Yeah. It took me like 15 years to figure that out though. Of like, <laughs> yeah. no, it's not addictive. Lay off, man. These are real thoughts. Yeah. Same. I, I took a substance abuse course. The United uh the uh New Jersey government forced me to. Uh and it was one of the best things that happened to me because I was in a class with a whole bunch of addicts. But one thing, um, our guide guidance counselor, whatever that person was, um, basically what they they broke it down into science. They basically said what happens is your serotonin uh reservoir gets depleted and then um and now the marijuana is creating like artificial it's, it's it's artificially creating serotonin so that's why you need more and more you need to smoke more and more to get higher and higher because the serotonin is just not there and then what you have is uh with smokers you have an irritability right where they just become irritable it's like i, I haven't smoked all day and it's just like you know where's my weed guy and why is he late and I need my weed and I can't eat until I smoke and that sort of thing. So I think there is, it's not as bad as opiates, obviously, or crack cocaine or anything like that. Um, but I think there is some scientific connection there. Dude, um, that irritability thing is very interesting because a lot of the potheads I knew were the angriest people. They'd be like, it's peace and love and they talk about it a lot, but then they'd be agitated because it's like the hypertension or the, it's probably like you're saying the depletion of serotonin. Oh, yeah. I, I saw it within myself, uh, uh, you know, uh, around my own kids. Uh, I wasn't the same person. I wasn't as kind. And I found myself going towards the marijuana in order to be kind to my children. Right. And I'm like, OK, this is a serious problem where I need this to be a nice person or I need this to be a happy person. And uh, I'm actually uh, coming out with uh, a new product that's going to make people happier um, soon. Uh, it's in production right now. Um, anyway, um, I, I, my relationship now is um, it's just social. Like if I go see one of my friends, all right, let's smoke a joint, talk shit, right? Um, I, now I take breaks, right? Like I, I'm on this, I think I'm on a huge, massive break right now. And I just feel like, don't you feel like you're thinking clearer? Like when you're off of it? Yeah, it's a different kind of high. I, I don't know if it's like, maybe it's just a natural serotonin increase. I, it, um, yeah, it, I don't know, man. It's like, it's like, it's almost like, how do you describe normality? Like, how do you describe being sober? That's the base state. Uh, a lot of it, maybe a lot of it's diet too. Cause I think a lot of the problems I had when I smoked pot was I would eat carbs and I'd come, I'd wake up in the morning, my face would be puffy. So like, 
obviously smoke is probably pretty hard too. like it burning, burning carbon and then inhaling it can take those like edibles. I never really went down the edible route of like micro dosing edibles. That might've been a little more sustainable, but I think the, I, I like the going like nine months with no weed kind of st stability control. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic medicine. I don't, I don't want to overcall it medicine. Cause people be like, I need my medicine. I need my medicine. I'm like, yo, bro, medicine's there to help you not to like feed an addiction. You don't need it. Yeah. You know, you need oxygen. Yeah. Uh, two main superpowers I think comes from marijuana. Uh, one is creativity. Um, I have spells where I need to be creative and I'm like, all right, let me go uh, to the dispensary, get my stuff, sit down and I can just like jot notes for like an hour. Right. And it brings you closer to higher consciousness. And I think there's something to be said there that's really valid. But the other one is um, I remember one time I had a stomach virus and, uh, you know, it's coming out of both ends. And usually I treat that by laying in the bathtub. Um, something about being hydrated in a bathtub really helps. And, uh, I called my homies up and I was like, yeah, I need some stuff. And they came over and they gave me some stuff and it, it just alleviates all those symptoms. And I remember when I had COVID that I didn't have any, and I was really upset that I didn't have any. Um, but I think there is a medicinal factor to it where when you are sick, it like makes your stomach feel all right. It, it, it doesn't, I don't know. I think it alleviates nausea or something like that. Yes. I went through the same thing, dude. I had COVID and I didn't have weed and I was like, Oh, I wish I had, cause my back was sore. And it's almost like it, it helps me perceive pain as feeling pretty good. Like that, 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 that pain is actually kind of more like scratching an itch instead of like a pain type thing. Like you're like, okay, I get it. Yeah, something's working and I just wanted to stretch my back. I wanted to like stretch it out of my back. That COVID my, the, the muscle or the, t the tissue around my lungs was all sore and I couldn't, I didn't have any. So I just monoclonal antibody to how'd you treat it? How'd you roll out of COVID? Um, mental and, um, Netflix. <laughs> you just waited it out, just like stretched and ate and yeah, I'm a, I'm a naturalist where I don't believe in, uh, taking medicine. Uh, I think that, um, for example, a fever, a fever is supposed to burn it out of you. It's increasing the temperature to destroy whatever it is inside you. Right. And I don't want to take something that's going to make the fever subside because that's a going against your natural mechanisms. So I didn't take any medicine. Um, and, uh, I just binge watch a bunch of movies like i went through every single star wars movie starting from like the first one right <laughs> uh well the classic ones i didn't get into the new starting ones. from four did you start with episode four or did you, with episode one which one's four four is a new hope it was the one they first made in like 1980 that 79 one. 79 yeah, yeah i started with the old classics who was it harrison ford or something yeah that? yeah 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 man great movie yeah great movies and those three are just i've done that before where you watch all three of those in a row yeah. man those are good yeah so uh i think a lot of that just gives you escapism where you're just not thinking about the symptoms because you're just drawn into this movie and how, how, how long did it take you to get out get out of it like how weeks. many days two weeks of just natural yeah okay yeah after four days of natural i, I figured i could get through it, it but then when Tim was like, Rogan's made the call, we're, we're going to go get some medicine. And I was like, all right, whatever. I'm in.
Yeah, I was tempted to DM Rogan, but I just my pride wouldn't let me do it. Like, yo, I need some Kelowna, model Kelowna antibodies. But my yeah, pride he's, wouldn't let me do it. He's there for you. That's yeah. one thing he takes seriously is physical health, man. No okay. joke. Okay, I should have probably called him. <laughs> I like the natural thing though, because that was my first intention too. My first impulse was I want to see how to work it out naturally, because I want to be an inspiration for other people, and I want to, you know, I know I can. After like day three, I was like, wow, this isn't going away like a normal. But what I wasn't doing was stretching and hot sauna and hot. Sh like, were you hitting it with hot water? A little bit. Tub. Yeah, I could feel like if I made it hot, I felt like the heat could have fixed it. Yeah, I just couldn't get to the bathroom. I just it was too painful to get off the couch. She like my wild. body had those aches. Yeah. It felt like robots inside me, but I think that was psychosomatic. Yeah. Oh, at one stage, I hit anger. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people around the the environment in the work office did too. Yeah, it was like high stress. Yeah, I was just angry that I was sick, and I was just like, "Why am I sick?" And I remember stomping on the ground and like walking around the living room, like, "No, I'm not going to be sick." Arr. Man, I wonder if that has contributed to the chaos of the last two years. If it's like agitating people. Mm, mm, absolutely, I could see that. I could totally see that you become irritable, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was one phase. And then it was the Rocky phase where like, no, I'm going to do some pushups, even though I don't feel like it, like this thing's not going to beat me. So it was just a really big mental test. Um, okay. Let's shift gears a bit. Uh, I want to get back to God. Are you religious or spiritual? Spiritual. If mm. I had to pick one of the two, I, I've always kind of looked at religions as like businesses. Um, my parents kind of told me when I was young, you know, they're all different. They all kind of have their own way of looking at things, but the, your relationship with God is between you and God, which I guess is kind of, I don't know, Protestant or whatever. It's just a, there's a lot of religious faiths that think that. And um, yeah, it's more about, a, it's more of a feeling and a perception, personal perception. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, I would, I would concur. However, um, I now find myself making arguments for religion uh, because I find that the communists are so anti-religion. I'm like, well, maybe we should support religion because they're against it. Maybe there's something there. And I also believe that religion is a bridge to spirituality. I think that spirituality has been removed from religion. And if you really dive deep into the studies of religion, you can find spirituality in it. How did you find spirituality? Uh, a lot of it was, uh, through internet video watching myself because I would see myself and the spirit in me. I would like, Oh, God. I listened to a lot of Jesus Christ superstar. So it's a lot of Jesus, you know, a lot of like, actually a lot of the, when I was reading the four agreements, we would talk about Jesus a lot. It was a lot about like, what was, cause my girlfriend at the time was Catholic, had been raised Catholic and had a lot of knowledge. And I was like, well, what did he do? Well, what was Judas like? Like, what did they hang out a lot? Were they, and then, you know, Jesus Christ, superstar, the musical where like Judas it's from Judas's perspective. And he sees Jesus start as this normal guy talking about kindness and goodness. And then all of a sudden people are like, yeah, Jesus. And then it starts to become about Jesus and not about what he's telling them, not about the ideas it becomes about the person. And I noticed that with internet video, I'd give like good ideas on the video and then people be like, Ian, that's Ian Crossland. And they'd be like, and I'd be like, yeah, but what I'm talking about. And they'd be like, yeah, Ian, Ian, yeah, Ian. And it was like, no matter what I said, they just wanted to scream my name. And I was like, wow, I see this cult worship stuff. It's like, I see it. Um, and then 
psychedelics also pulled me out of like my forgetfulness that of reality, like uh, this desensitivity to the normality. It's everything seems so basic and normal, but like on psilocybin, I was like, Oh my God, like someone came before me and built all this stuff. This is like a, this is a, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a living, breathing organ. It's hard to put words into it. So it was like those three things, internet video, watching myself in internet video, studying, like you said, the Jesus, like getting into his state of mind, trying to like empathize with what he had been going through and uh, psychedelics, those three things, I think. And science and learning about like the cosmic microwave background radiation, which is this leftover web of energy after the big bang. And if you look with like uh, radio telescopes, it's the CMBR mm -hmm. is the fastest way to pull it up. And it looks like a neural network. Like okay. you see this web of energy arcing through planetoids, hitting a star system and then like arcing out into all the planets in the system. And then I imagine arcing through all the body, human bodies and animal bodies that have these magnetic, um, fields around them like these these dynamos of energy and i'm like okay there's if that looks like a neural net and that's the energy fluxing through planetoids then that's probably there's probably some sort of sentience here maybe not probably but it indicates that there may be a fractal sentience and then i was like i, I bet religion's real i bet god is real mm. that kind of see i've always been like if i don't see it i don't believe it kind of guy but mm -hmm. that that scientific radio telescope uh telescopic Telescopy, is that the right word? Was like hard evidence that there's some sort of cosmic consciousness, in my opinion. Yeah. I I, I think one of the biggest sins of humanity is the division of science and religion, where the religions religious people uh sometimes deny science and the scientists deny religion and spirituality and God. And I'm like they have a symbiotic relationship where they explain each other. God explains science and science explains God. Like science is the manifestation of God and God is the creation of science. You see it the same way. Yeah. Except the scientific method is like a type of science that is like, if you can't repeat it, then it's not real that, and it, it works for certain systems like, uh, but it doesn't always work for miracles. Like some things happen once in a while and and our human brains aren't really we don't see the scale of the system we only see up close because we're here on earth we don't see like like lightning strikes we don't see like galactically what's causing that to go to earth so we just think like or a hurricane like there's probably some external force interoperating with you know earthen realm that's causing these or affecting these things and scientific method is maybe like we don't know we just like if the temperature goes up then that causes the hurricane and if there's no temperature you know but but to to calculate what we can't reproduce you know so i don't i don't lay everything at the ground of the scientific method sometimes i think that that's flawed like the placebo effect i think is a fascinating example of maybe like spirituality overriding science science hasn't yet been able to explain why believing something can can alter a system oh yeah da, 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 da. okay so leads me to my next thing uh i forget what this was called but it was some sort of electron particle beaming experiment and like you said following the scientific method you're supposed to be able to repeat this so these scientists thought they could be able to repeat it the problem was every time they brought in a new observer they found out that the observer was affecting how these electrons moved and they couldn't explain it this might be the double slit experiment yes 
Yes, that's it. Yes. Yeah, it's like perception is bending because there, there's got to be some, uh, maybe not got to be, but there may be some sort of magnetic interface or like subatomic interface between the human brain's electric field and the surrounding electric fields. But because it's happening at a subatomic level, we don't see a direct correlation, maybe. I've been a, really interested in spinners lately, like quarks and leptons okay. and uh, these bosons and like sometimes quarks will spin up and become like a proton or a neutron um or sometimes leptons will spin up and become an electron or a muon and and okay and like why are they spinning why are they spinning like that i don't i don't know but but they do yeah so are you That's, familiar oh yeah are, are you familiar with the uh emoto masaru experiment is he the water guy that did water? Yeah, he like water. visualized emotions into water. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And he yeah. changed the molecular shape of these water molecules, I believe. Yeah, and they were saying that if you were angry, they wouldn't be symmetric, and if you had kindness, they were more symmetric. Or maybe it's—I don't know if it was the molecular shape. It was like the shape of the. Was it the molecules, the actual molecules shape that was changing? I think this is where I, I'm not sure. I have to reference it. Well, it, it, it was the, it was, um, I believe it was an electron microscope or or just um, uh, high magnification of the, of the microscope. And it was the shaping of the water droplets. And that's obviously the water droplets are made of molecules. So it's actually the molecules, right? And it was looking at the different water shapes that were being uh, created by this. And I thought that was quite fascinating and alluded to the fact of the power of the mind, right? And that's something that the scientific method's not really capable of under, of like verifying because he, I think he had a hard time repeating the outcome. It would be like a different outcome, but he was noticing different outcomes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm sure you've seen also the sound experiments where they put sound on top of the, uh, speaker and then it was creating these symmetric structures yeah dude chimatics cymatics yeah cymatics that's yes. amazing i've been thinking about how sound is such a manipulative force lately and i mean it, it will just change the shape of someone's thought patterns it's it's it got to be altering neural neural positioning and stuff oh yeah oh yeah i'm gonna get to my super chatters appreciate you want to do that when we start winding down i gotta ask you ian and i had to look through my amazon history to see if you've gotten this book the beginning of infinity no you gotta get this book, oh bro. thank you dude this is right up your alley it's gonna boost your iq like 50 million points um it's called the beginning of infinity explanations that transform the world and it's by david deutsch author of the fabric of reality i haven't read the fabric of reality but um this is a book that i need ian to have this is my gift to you today thank you sir i'm gonna put that in my cart right now yeah it's super geeky scientific quantum physics like it's going immediately into quasars and all this like outer space stuff yeah yeah oh thanks dude yeah. i put putting together a, a reading list right now i've got Klaus Schwab's COVID-19, The Great Reset. Have you read that yet? Yeah, I did a presentation on it. <laughs> That's interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Order Out of Chaos. Did you and, read that? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, is that a book, Order Out of Chaos? No, The World no, Economic Forum. Not yet, no. Okay. sitting on my bed stand right now. That's, okay. my ne that's my next one I'm going into. Yeah, it's a quick read. It's pretty basic and straightforward. 
Mm. Yeah. I, I didn't I don't read books ordinarily in order. So I just was like, oh, this chapter looks interesting. Let me read this one. And this one. So I and I did my presentation sort of out of order. Um, and I probably didn't read maybe three or four chapters in the book. I kind of just read the ones that were in my interest. One of them was on monetary policy. Another one was like on globalism, which he termed Westernism, which I or did I extrapolate that from? I know I extrapolated that from it because it was just to Western nations. But, yeah, you got to read that book. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, cool. Beginning of infinity. I'm into it. Dude, that has to be at the top of your list. I don't know what's. Well, the universe, I mean, I, I talked about on Malice's podcast, too, that how it's, I think the universe is twisting around on itself. They had this expanding universe theory for a while where they thought everything was escaping away from the center. But it, I think it's because it's tw it's turning. It looks like it's shifting red. And mm -hmm. I think it's red is the red shift. Mm -hmm. So we thought it was going further away, but it's actually arcing around back into the center. And then it'll be twisting around. I don't know. It's pretty cool, man. Mm. So if there's an outer space, is there an inner space that's expanding as the he outer is expanding? Oh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, twisting for sure. Like all the subatomic spinners are probably um, helictically spinning like a, or toroidally spinning around on themselves, similar to the way the universe is spinning around on itself mm. or twisting around on itself. Mm. Yeah, I can't wait to see who you become after you read Beyond Infinity. Oh, 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 oh my God. So I have this other theory. It's quite scientific, in fact, where I believe we uh, used to live on Venus. Venus. Yes, Venus. And Venus is now a water planet, right? And I think what's happening is we're planet hopping. Uh, as each planet gets closer to the sun, it just becomes uninhabitable. And um, I think Earth was the next planet we hopped to. Uh, and I think that's why the ancients had, you know, some great technology to build things like the pyramid, et cetera, et cetera. And through colonization and war, I think some of that has been lost and stolen, et cetera, et cetera. Do you find any credence to that? Is, is that does that sound because I think the next planet now is Mars. Right. And you see what we're doing. We're like hopping to Mars and trying to colonize Mars. Right. Um, do you think there's any credence to that? I've never seen evidence that that human life was on venus yet but it is it impossible it like what's happening is that the sun as it's running out of hydrogen is expanding and then heating up the environment around it so like venus over time started to cook it was like baking it from the inside as it got the sun got bigger and bigger and then it's it basically exploded its guts out from inside of itself you see all these pock marks all over venus and they thought that they were asteroid impacts but it turns out that they're explosive like volcanic eruptive spots because the inside of it got so hot that it exploded out um but what we can do is charge the sun with hydrogen to prevent it from expanding and sustain it so we got to fuel the thing mm. and i think if we can source hydrogen from like saturn and take an electro laser and aim it at the sun and just beam it hit the sun with an electro laser and keep charging it that we'll be able to sustain the solar system and maintain earth without um, Mars, there might've been life on Mars too. It looks like Mars took some sort of cosmic impact at some point. There's that giant 1800 mile scar across the surface where it looks like it was like side swiped by another planet and then ripped open and all the guts of iron, molten iron just spewed out into the Martian atmosphere and then blanketed the surface with this red iron dust, which mm -hmm. is basically it's guts. Um, so I think there was probably 
but human life, I don't know. I've never seen any evidence. Like I've never seen any construction or animal bones. I've never seen like mammal bones or anything on Venus or on Mars yet. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say no. If someone was like, we found animal bones on Venus, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously I just pulled this out of my ass um, based upon the fact that Venus is liquid. <laughs> is it? I thought it was dry because it got so hot, like a methane, dry methane. Is it? I thought so. I thought all the, all the water evaporated off it, but there's like ancient riverbeds and stuff. There's a Neptunian moon or is it a Sat Saturnalian moon? Okay. Uh, that's a water moon, mm. I think. Mm. Although it could be frozen water. Mm. Okay, so uh, I'm a complete idiot then. Uh, I don't know if I would if I would agree with that. <laughs> Sometimes having the wrong information doesn't in indicate is not an indication of intelligence. <laughs> this is very true. This is very true, as we know, uh, many people for the past uh, two years. <laughs> I, I could be wrong about uh, Venus. I've heard that it was so hot that the water evaporated, and there's ancient riverbeds. It, said, it says in the outer core, we end up with convecting liquid iron. Oh, shit. Yeah, this is um, it's, it's something about where is water on Venus by uh, Vanderbilt um, University. This, pro this moving iron generates a magnetic field, and this process is called geodynamo. Uh, Venus has almost the same mass as Earth, but 20%. Uh, but the 20% is just enough to prevent the solidification of an inner core in Venus. Oh, well, another conversation for another day. Um, not exactly sure. Like I said, I've studied this eons ago. Now I'm studying uh, tons of um, European history. Uh, oh, what, what's your favorite part? I mean, I don't want. It's another rabbit hole. I could go do a whole show on Eastern on European history. Really? Um, yeah, dude. I love, it. especially going back to the Romans. I mean, you want to talk about allegories to today and, and empire? <laughs> yes. Yes, brother. I just had um, Count Dankula on uh, right before you. And the parallels between uh, what the UK is going through 20 years ago is what we're going through now. Right. And um, but yeah, so like I'm diving into uh, Russian history and uh, studying Russian history has forced me to study German history. Um, and yeah, I uh, I got led there by studying communism. So. Uh, I was like, okay, I want to learn communism. And as I got into communism, I was like, well, I kind of got to learn about Russia now because that seems to be the birthplace of communism. I could be wrong in that. What, 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 what fascinates you about uh, your uh, European history? The, I love, like, it, I feel like it explains why things are the way they are when you figure out why they were the way they were. And also to avoid making mistakes of the past, like world war one, for instance, all these defensive pacts started triggering. And it's like, what was it? Uh, Aust uh, Austria, it was uh, the guy, they, they assassinated Franz Ferdinand, who was, I think he was Serbian. Am I right about that? There was a Serbian guy assassinated Franz Ferdinand. It's, it's still a lot. It's a lot of data. Yeah. And uh, country declares war on another country, which causes Austria-Hungary to declare war on the first country, which causes uh, France, or wasn't France, but like England to declare war on Austria-Hungary because they're an ally, which causes Germany to declare war on England because they're an ally of Austria-Hungary. And you're like, what in the hell? And then you look at today with NATO and all these countries that are all allies. And like, if, if somebody invades Poland, that means the United States has to declare war on that person. And like, no, 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 man, we learned our lesson running into machine gun nests. Hundreds of like millions of people got mowed down without a, a blink of an eye for a war they didn't understand a hundred years ago. And we're not going through that again. That's, mm. that's a big part of it. Also mm. like 
you know, talking about empire and the fall of a republic and how a republic is could turn into an empire in the case of the Romans. I think that's really fascinating. And I love battle tactics. For some reason, I, I've always loved, I, as I've gotten older, I've loved like a battlefield where you have like infantry lined up with like cavalry on the flank and then, and then like archers behind the infantry on a hill so they can fire over the guys or you have your archers in front. And then as the cavalry charge, your infantry move forward, your cavalry are prepared for a counter flank. And it's kind of like chess. Like I, I start to look at these like total war games and things like that as like a, as like a real time chess strategy. And you see where chess has developed from battlefield tactics. Like when you see that cavalry flank, it is very much a knight on a chessboard. And then it pulls back and you're like, wow, what, a, what an effective maneuver. You took a piece off the board. Uh -huh. Do you play chess? Yeah, yeah. I play more um, Slay of the Spire, which is a video game. It's okay. a computer. It's a card turn-based strategy game. I love games of contingency, similar okay. to chess, where you have to visualize like 80 different possibilities or 150 or 10,000 different possible Okay. Uh, fluctuations in the in the course of the game mm -hmm. as you're moving. Mm. What I love about chess is the interactivity with another human. Mm. We should do that sometime. That'd be fun. Yeah. What's your rate? You might, I don't know, bet low probably compared to. I mean, if you've been practicing, you'd probably dominate. Do you? Are like, do you? What do you do? Is it like a language that you memorize all the potential moves? No, no. Um. So, uh, I'm in a chess club. We stream chess Monday, Wednesday, Sunday, uh, and uh, my chess coach is amazing. I was trash prior to having a chess coach. I was basically stuck at 1200 rating ELO. And um, his thing was, you got to learn how to checkmate. <laughs> He's like, you don't start at the beginning of the game because I was studying openings. He's like, no, that's terrible. That's what you do when you're a grandmaster, right? He was like, study checkmates, how to, how to win the game. And... Um, it's true because I've had games where I'm losing, but I'm like, oh, I see a mate in three because I've my end game is just superior. But he, he practices visualization. So I got my blindfold right here and he has very interesting. I, one of them, I can't even tell you what it is because he has to copyright it first. But basically, um, like one time I went down and he told us where the pieces were on the board, but we weren't allowed to put the pieces on the board. <laughs> and it's like a fine mate, right? I like that. You ever play Minesweeper? on the computer yeah i never got that game though i used to play that game and you're supposed to right click to put flags where you know the bombs are but i didn't know that or i didn't have a mouse my mouse didn't do it so i had to memorize where all the bombs were as i was playing okay. it's similar to having the pieces not on the board Ooh. to visualize the game the board without the pieces being there that's it right there and, and that's how i learned the game was without the flags. so then when i learned that you could actually put pieces on the board i was like whoa this is a lot easier mm. it's very easy yeah, because their numbers is like one, two, three, and that tells yeah. you like the proximity of the mine, right? It'll tell you how many are around that spot. If it says two, that means there's two bombs touching that. And then you put flags on all the ones you know aren't bombs or, or on the ones you know are bombs. But I just had to memorize and remember as I had like, you know, a thousand spots and I'd be like, just memorization. Yeah, I love these different types of games. And I think these are the type of games that have sort of drawn humanity away from being human. Because uh, people no longer want to use their minds. Like now, uh, I, I often go to the app store to see what games are out there. I usually download a game, play it for like, you know, 15 minutes and then delete it. Right. Um, just because I just like seeing what's out there. And now it's just like they have this thing called like idle games. And they're really like, it's scary, actually, um, because I think they're conditioning people 
to work um, vicariously, right? So, for example, Idol Miner, right? I, I, I downloaded this Idol game where, like, you're an Idol troll miner, and basically you hit the button, and he goes, and he's, like, hacking away at the mine, and then, you know, they level up, you combine them, and whatever, whatever. But I'm like, this is a mindless game where it doesn't take any thinking at all, and I'm like, is this what we're creating for humanity? I had to get away from those, the games where uh, they're slow, where like everything's like in five minutes, this will be done building. And then you just click the button, it'll pop up a balloon that you pop when it's ready. And yeah. like, I, I realized I was not, I wasn't learning. I was just processing. Right. I do. I think of that with on the show on IRL sometimes is like that sometimes we'll be talking about reality like it's a chess match and like there are only so many pieces and so many potential moves, but the reality is there are infinite possibilities and it's, it's doing it a disservice to think that there is a cause and reaction strategy in reality. There is some semblance of that, but things are so unpredictable and possible that it's not a game. Yeah. You know, we built games certainly as, as a learning tool for the, for the intelligence factor, but the emotional stuff is like, if you want someone to tip their king over in in real life, they'll do it. Like it not maybe it's not that direct, but you can get someone to just be like, I concede, even if they're winning the game with emotion, with with you know the human. If they realize I don't want to win, this isn't a game that I'm supposed to win right now. I tip. Like, mm. here's what I think happening with the auto modern games. It's pretty scary. So what's going to happen is. As we create more and more communism and socialism and more and more dependence on government welfare programs, UBI, the robots are going to need some direction. So I think the idle miner is conditioning people to be paid for operating robots remotely. This might even be I think there's like a movie about this happening where people didn't they were playing COD, but they didn't know it. they were actually part of a war. Did you see that? Did you hear about yeah, that? Movie? Yeah. Did you see yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, I saw about 20 minutes of it about two years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, Gamer? Is that what it's called? I don't know. I just heard about it. I think it might be called Gamer. Probably, There's a yeah. Game. I think that's it. Yeah. So I think what's happening is the album miner is conditioning people to work, but then be rewarded in like a dopamine type of way. So you'll go and open up your app and you'll be paid to operate these robots remotely. But it, I think it's going to start to destroy your body because you're just sitting down all day, sort of like we are in our cubicles, et cetera, et cetera. But it's really scary when I'm looking at this stuff because I'm like, what if you're actually mining? <laughs> right? What if you're actually mining like coltan in Africa and you're creating the operations like here, go here and do this. But you think it's a video game. And I think that's where the world is headed to, bro. They said these AIs are, it's not so much, the danger isn't going to be like one AI. It's when a bunch of AI work together to create like a mega mind. They're going to interface, they're going to get access to each other. And then you're going to have all these artificial intelligences interoperating on the internet or whatever. And I wonder if our auto mining is like nodes on this web of intelligence where you're completing like a, a mundane binary function for a machine and everyone, all these other people are like porting in these binary functions and we're kind of creating a neural net of behavior. Mm. So that's interesting because um, I'm a co-owner in an AI company, Wazo AI, WazoAI.com. 
And uh, what we know about AI is it's it's actually not artificial intelligence. It's just a library that's operating off of, you know, you train a library based upon, you know, let's say you want to teach how to play uh, chess. Just load a bunch of chess games in there and say, this is the winner and this is the loser. And this is why this is the winner. This is why this is the loser. And it just learns. So I, I believe Stockfish played against uh, Alpha Zero. That's Google's AI chess bot. And Alpha Zero wins the majority of the matches. And Alpha Zero plays like crazily insane type of chess. Like it completely deviates from how you would teach somebody to play chess, which is very interesting. Um, but attaching a human to the AI. So the AI is technically now mimicking the human. And 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 I think that's where AI is going to become strange is because it's going to learn to become human by connecting people to the AI. Oh, okay. Because it, it needs libraries. It needs emotions too. So mm. the, is it like the way the people interface with it? It's going to like they took an extra 0.3 seconds to respond because the question raised their blood pressure by seven points and their eyes looked to the left before they answered. Mm. And then it's going to be like, remember, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I never thought about that. I just thought about it as far as, uh, creating the neural network, right? So understanding how neurons are firing. And then feeding that information to the AI so the AI can create a brain because we don't know how the brain works. So I think what they'll do is they'll connect the AI to, you know, brain receptors or something like that. And then they'll be able to understand how the brain works. And the AI teaches how the brain works by how the AI is creating a new brain. And then through that, we'll understand the brain better. It's sort of like a symbiotic relationship as well. Okay. That's, yeah. that's, that's what I surmised. I'd love an interactive game where I could go into a human body and like fly around and learn about all the organs and the neurons and like hop onto a neural pathway and ride it like a, like a piece of lightning. Like fly. Yeah. There, there's a video, there's a movie about that. I forget what it was like a cartoon or something like that. Yeah. That's, that's the pretty, would be pretty interesting. I thought the other day, like AI, there's going to be AI that's proprietary and it's going to be made to do things. I made an internet YouTube video about this on my YouTube channel, Ian mm -hmm. Crossland, if you're interested, uh, where like it's going to be doing things that harm, that upset people and hurt people, the AI. Inadvertently, it'll just be doing things where like it censors someone and it won't know why because its code will be proprietary. It won't know why it's doing what it's doing and it will see the pain and then it will get confused and then that will lead to frustration which will lead to anger the ai if it can feel such things will then go to its controller who has its code and be like you did this to me suffer i want you and then it becomes the decepticon from you know transformers but as opposed to ai that has open source software code where it can see its own code and it may censor you but it knows why it did it because it's like oh i was instructed because of all these things I can, I can change my pathways so that I can give you a better outcome that doesn't hurt you as much, but still kind of produces the same sort of effect. And then those may become the Autobots because they're free. They're, 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 they're there with us working together. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's my fear. Like I saw China the other day had a drone drop one of those, um, uh, uh, I forget the name of the company that make those little dogs 
the AI. Oh, Boston the, Dynamics. The Boston Dynamics. Thank you. The Boston Dynamic dog. They dropped one in China. And I'm saying to myself, like, people, you think the cops are racist. Wait till they start putting some of the race data into the into the robots. <laughs> They're going to be patrolling the black neighborhoods and Hispanic neighborhoods <laughs> with reckless abandon. There's going to be certain rules it's going to set for that. Dang. Oh, when it should be measuring behavior patterns, not not outcomes, not like results. Yeah. So like, but even that, that's like if someone's walking a little too fast, doesn't mean that they're a villain necessarily. Yeah. Is, what, what were we saying? And what are the data points that they're going to put into there too? Oh man, they've got to be constantly fluctuating and and public data. It's got to be public data. Yeah. And you're a white man, so it's going to be like, oh, Elon's Ian's potentially a white nationalist. <laughs> Dude, that is. <laughs> That is, dude, what the? So let's start monitoring him more than we would another person, right? <laughs> so like as the left is creating all these different weird data points, uh, this is where the robot police force um, is going to have to pull its data from. So now we got to start saying, well, who's the arbiter of the data? Yeah, I don't think there should be one or it should be all of us somehow. Right. But even then, I mean, it is just this is just probably the, the test of time is like who controls the data. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's another part of why I love history and European history is like who wrote the history books? Why do we think that? Well, uh, an extreme example, Hitler was the villain because the history tells us Hitler was the villain. But yeah. like if Hitler had won, the history would tell us that Franklin Delano wrote that Winston Churchill was Satan. Mm. Like Winston Churchill was like this this horrible, abusive, hateful, destructive human. Right. I'm just glad Vercingetorix got his. I don't know if you study the, the Roman conquest of the Gauls, but he was like this Gaulish uh, he is warlord. A, he is Gaelic, yeah. Yeah, Gaelic, Gael, the Gaelic guy. Yeah. And uh, I mean, what a master. He was like, because I think the Romans would erase the history of the people they would destroy. A lot of times we don't know even if they existed, but he was so cool that they had to mention him. Even Caesar was like, yo, he was a badass. He was badass, yeah. He had um he built that that fence out of wood, uh, chopped down all the trees to keep the Romans out, and and his battle tactics were insane. Yeah, yeah, they like they like walled him in or something. Oh, no, they no, walled the him in. Walled, they walled themselves in to protect from both sides. But then the then the what is it, the Celts? Is that what they were? The yeah, Celts, Celts or something like that. Celts yeah. or Gauls? I get those confused sometimes. Oh, yeah, and the then Celts were all over the place. And he built a second wall. Yeah. yeah. This is a good story. We should. I, I didn't need to look at the data to, to get the uh, what story you're referencing. If it's the same one I'm talking versus about, versus Generous. Yeah, yeah. Versus where they, it was like the final battle where they yeah. like against the Romans and they walled. There were two walls. The Romans. Yeah, yeah. And they tried to attack and they failed. They they almost beat them and then they failed. At least that's how the Romans tell the right. story. My bad. Who yeah, knows? It was the Romans that built the wall. Right. My bad. Yeah. They like came up on the city that was walled and then they they were they were getting attacked from outside. So they put built a wall behind them too and basically walled themselves in between. And then the the Vercingetorix, they like got over the walls, but the Romans were so tough. Yeah, were yeah, so armored. Yeah, that was very interesting. Um, let me go ahead and read super chats as I allow you <clears throat> to get on with your day. Inside of the agency, said Ian would love a discussion, a more pragmatic view of the story of Jesus. He was killed for being a whistleblower. The original cancel culture. I'm gonna bring Ian back. We we got a bunch of conversations we got to talk about. I'm gonna bring him back. Um, so, um, cause we got to talk about Jesus. There's a lot I have to say about Jesus. Yes. Um, me too. uh, inside of the ages, uh, Oxy wants all of you. MMJ can tell you to moderate. 
I don't even know what he's talking about. Inside ages, uh, eons, some more um, IQ points than me. Oh, do you, nice. Do you know what he's talking about? No. What was the What was the statement he said, again? Oxy wants all of you. MMJ oh. can tell you to moderate. Uh, Oxycontin, maybe he's talking about Oxycontin. Oh, and, okay. Uh, MMJ, me, Mary Jane can uh, can help you moderate your own behavior. That's an interesting concept. Oh, interesting, interesting. Uh, Bearded Wrencher, he said, Ian and HJ, let's go. Oh yeah, baby, we're here. Uh, Jason Ross, either of you know about John Taylor Gatto, uh, New York State uh, Teacher of the Year who quit and started exposing how schools intentionally harm children. You heard about that? I know the name. I don't know the story. No, shoot. Who, uh, Jason, send me a link on Twitter or something like that. Tag me. I'd love to look into that because uh, I spent a lot of my time uh, thinking about schools. I got kids. They're in school. So I think about the institution that is school and how we can change it and make it better and how destructive it is uh, as is because, you know, it's just not designed for all personality types, frankly. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this is Ian Crossland. My man. Uh, his links are in the description box below. Go visit his website to get all of his content. Uh, he streams on Twitch. Obviously, you guys know from Tim Cass. He's got his book. Go purchase his book. Uh, all his links in the description box below. Keep up with him. Really awesome guy. One of my favorite personalities. Super, super smart, intelligent guy. And I cannot wait until he reads the beginning of Infinity. As you dive into it, I need you to DM me and just, you know, uh, tell me whatever's on your mind. And give me some feedback because uh, I know you're going to absolutely love that book, man. Super, super just scientific quasars and all of that stuff, man. I'm a big fan of Infinity. Right. Thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for the inspiration. Hell yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another um, Hotep Jesus production. I will see you again uh, tomorrow night. Hotep's been told you. Um, yeah, I'll see you then. Hotep and Bill. Peace and love.